So we are in 75A1. 75. How do you like that? Okay. So we are starting in the second paragraph. The Gemara is going to bring another rule regarding sewing. We saw a little bit yesterday at the end of the Hamud, at the, at the end of the Daf. So Amar Ravzutre Bartuvie Omagav. So uh, he said three things. If one stretches the thread of a stitch on the Shabbos, this means there were two, two parts of the garment, but they were loose. And by his stretching the string, that's already the melach of, of a toifer, of a sewing. So uh, he would be high of hatas. He would be liable for a korban. Now, he's about to tell us two other things, nothing to do with Chavez, just because he heard the three things at once from Rav. The second one is, One who learns one thing from a heretic. The Gemara already, well, not the Gemara, the Ascroll. <laughs> the Ascroll already tra translates the word Magosh as heretic because the Gemara later is going to Try to find out what it means. So says Chaya Misa. He's liable to death penalty. Why is prohibited to learn even Torah from a heretic? Because you might be influenced from him to do idolatry. So we, sh we should become very uh, careful not to learn things from people that are out of the Torah circle. And the third thing he learned from him, if somebody knows how to calculate these astronomical uh, progressions of things and seasons and uh, the constellations and all that, and he doesn't calculate them and he doesn't teach us them, then we disregard the, this person, we look at him with a bad attitude and is forbidden to read the rulings from him on his name. The Gabor is going to explain why, why it's so bad. So, uh, the first one, the Gemara won't elaborate. It's just uh, part of the Melach of sewing. But the Gemara is going to elaborate the second and the third teachings of Marzutra in the name, name of Rav. So says the Gemara, Magoshta. So we learned before a Magosh, Magoshta in Aramaic. So what is this Magoshta? There's an argument between Rav Shmuel. So Hadamar Harshi, one says a sorcerer. Somebody that is able to do things in a miraculous way by using koichos powers of impurity, mecharamar gadufei. And the other one says, as we saw previously, like an heretic, a blasphemer. So is an heretic who is involved in idolatry and constantly blaspheming Hashem's name and inciting others to do idolatry. So who is who? The Gemara said, Rabbi Shmuel, and each one and says one holds this, one holds that, but that's the same who is who. So the Gemara says, this time the Rav the Amar Gedufi. So we can conclude from the Gemara or Rav Zutra that Rav is the one that said that is a blasphemer. The Amar, the Amar Rav Zutra Bartuvi Amar Rav, as we just saw, if you learn something from this Magosh, Hayamisa, you're going to be liable to death penalty. Now, what does it mean to be a magosh? Says the Gemara. If 
you would assume maybe Rav holds that a magosh means a sorcerer. So why would it be liable? Uh, why would a person should be liable to death penalty from learning from him? Because it says, "Aksiv is written, "You shall not learn to do acts of sorcery." So from that verse, we learn that you are not allowed to learn to apply. So you are forbidden to learn and bring it practical sorcery. That, that is forbidden by the Pasuk. But you can just learn to understand and to teach. Actually, the Gemara Sanhedrin brings that the members of the Sanhedrin were very well versed in all these um, practices. Why? Because if somebody did that, and they would be brought to the basin, to the Sanhedrin, and this is a thing that's li liable death penalty, so the Sanhedrin need to know how, do, how they operate to, to ascertain if the person did sorcery and to pass him that he's liable to death penalty. So we learn that it's just permitted to learn sorcery, not to apply it, but to understand it. So why then Rav would have said that whoever learns from this sorcerer is high of Misa, is liable to death penalty. So this time, rather we conclude that Rav said that Amagosh, Amagosh is a blasphemer and heretic. Yes. I just want to ask you a question at that point. Um, it said earlier on somewhere that you cannot do magic. Right. Now, does that apply from here, the sorcery, that applies to magic, like something like disappear and bring it back? No, like this. Actually, it's a Gemara in, in Sanhedrin. The Gemara in Sanhedrin makes a distinction between illusion or real sorcery. The Gemara in Sanhedrin says, when just creating a, like an illusionist, is not real sorcery, but people, because you know tricks and you move fast and all that, you, cre you create an impression of magic, that is permitted. What is prohibited is to utilize, use names. And through either names like the Egyptians, the, the, the Gemara also is another brings how they would use names of a shadim to, to do things. That, that is prohibited. Now, the third thing is... Yeah? Somebody has a question? Okay. What about uh... Anthony? We lost you. Ah, okay. So Anthony is asking me, what about Ravi Mayer? So the Gemara asks. <laughs> How could Rabbi Meir learn from Elisha ben Abuya? The famous Elisha ben Abuya, he was a Tana, that he says the Gemara in, in Hagiga that he went into the Pardes, into the Kabbalah, and he became an heretic. And then Rabbi Meir was able to learn from him. I think the Gemara in Hagiga asks the question, how could it be? And if I vaguely remember how many years ago, I think the Gemara answers that Rabbi Meir was exceptional. He was a unique case that he was able to be able to, he was able to sift 
the truth from the from the shaker. But I vaguely remember, I think that anybody else would be forbidden because then it's very dangerous to be able to really know what is true and what is false. Okay. Amar Rabbi Shimon ben Pazi, Amar Rabbi Yushua ben Levi, Mishum Bar Kapara, Kol Ayudah Lechashev Betkufos Umazalos, Venu Choshev, any person, just previously we, this is referring to the, the teaching also that we send them of Rab. Anybody that knows how to calculate the progression of the seasons and the position of the constellations, and he doesn't calculate them, Allah Omer, regarding him the Torah says, Ves Pu'al Hashem, is not the Torah, it's the Tanakh, it's in Yeshayahu, Ves Pu'al Hashem lo yabitu, umaseh dev lo ra'au. Let me see, go to the footnote number 14, so, uh, so let, let me just do the translation. And the work of God they do not regard, and the act, the action of His hands they do not see. And this is a rebuke. The prophet Yeshayahu is rebuking the Jewish people for not having the interest for this. Why? Look in footnote number 14. By studying the movements of the sun and the constellations, a person will gain some understanding of the greatness of Hashem who set them in place. Also, upon realizing that these heavenly bodies have no independent powers, he will certainly see the folly of those who worship the sun and the moon, uh, thinking that uh, these guys have any sort of independence, right? Also, look in the, in the Rambam, that uh, this wisdom, to be able to calculate seasons and constellations, so includes astronomy, intercalation of the seasons, and mathematics. And someone who knows these disciplines and does not use them to calculate the movement of the heavenly bodies has lost the opportunity to better love Hashem. So Anthony, this is a good chizuk. I did with Anthony most of Sefer Ayetzira. We have to go back to it. So we see that it's definitely, I mean, we just have to be careful going back to to know from whom to learn and from whom not to learn. There's a lot of fake information in the web or in general. But if you know somebody, because this is truth, that the um, astrology is something uh, truth. So if you learn about astrology from real sources, you, you see you see Hashem. Astrology and astronomy, like you learn about the universe and the galaxies and all that, is an unbelievable opportunity to strengthen you as Hashem, because you see the greatness of God. Continuing in this um, idea, Omar Rabbi Shmuel Bar Nachmani, Omar Rabbi Yochanan, Minayin Shemitzvah al Adam lechashev tchufos mazalos. What is the source that there's a mitzvah? You're going to see in the footnotes. Shmuel, welcome. You're going to see in the footnotes that they don't really mean to say mamish like a proper mitzvah. But what they mean to say is a good thing. So how do we know that is a good thing? For a person to do this, to calculate the progression of the seasons and the position of the constellations. This is in the Deuteronomy, the beginning of the volume. It says, to the Jewish people, for you shall safe word and perform them 
but it is your wisdom and the discernment in the eyes of the nations. So this is a pasuk. So says Averhi Rabbi Yochanan, Eizoi Chochma Ubina, Amim, which is a wisdom and discernment that everybody appreciates it, that is in the eyes of the nations. This is the calculations of progression of seasons and constellations. The other way, look in the phone number 17, that when a person can correctly predict the weather for the coming season, people recognize his wisdom. You see, today, today the weather channels are very, very, people really want to see what, what's going to be the weather now in the winter. I just saw for next week, Baruch Habar regarding Shavuot is going to get a cold weather coming in usually always a couple of days before Shavuot you get the cold weather so people appreciate the wisdom of this so predicting is accomplished by calculating the movement of the sun and the constellations because the weather is affected by, by the position okay so you should a person that, is, that has uh, so but then the fundo they said it's not Mamesh and Mitzvah, it's not that every single Jew is obligated to learn this. But you have a little bit of a knowledge, you have a passion for it, definitely should do it and teach it to others. Okay, moving to page 75A2. Now we're going to go to the Mitzvah of hunting. Okay, Atzal Tzvi. The mission said, hunting a deer, etc. So, Tan Rabanan, it was brought in a, in a brisa. If somebody traps the chilazon, that was, we saw that this was the, 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 the sea animal that from it you get the tcheles. So if somebody traps this chilazon and then squeezes its blood to, to be able to use the blood as a dye for the color blue, for the tcheles, says over here the first opinion, he is only liable for one which is the trapping. But he won't look in the photo number 19. He's not, the squeezing wouldn't be a melach. This is Tanakama. Rabbi Doyme, Rabbi no, he's liable for time, for Stein, Chayam Stein, also for this, for the squeezing, which is mephatic, which is taking out a content out of something to use it. It's also a melach. So, Rabbi Doyme, Rabbi would hold this category is taking out the blood, is included in, in Daesh, in threshing. So look in the footnote number 21. Just like uh, extracting the blood from an animal is similar to extracting grain from the husk. You're taking something out of the covering to use it. So according to Rabbi Yuda, that not only you have the melach of, of trapping, like trapping the deer, you were trapping over here the chilazon, but also extracting something that you want to use. Amrulo bochachami margi gurabiyuda. Why? Emtzia bichlal disha. Squeezing is not included in the category of threshing, so therefore uh, somebody with a chilazon uh, wouldn't be liable for that. The Gemara clarifies why not. Uh, why not? Omar Rabe. Maitam Rabanan. Why is the reason behind chachamim that you don't over Mishum, uh, mishum uh, Disha of squeezing, says Robe, Kesabri ain't Disha Ela Vigidule Karka. There's no melach of threshing, only when it comes to something that gro grows on the ground, but not on fish. 
some opinions may hold maybe yes in animals of, of the of the dry land, but definitely not not out of fish. So similar to Meamer, remember we saw previously that according to one opinion, if you would gather salt in the place where they make the salt, uh, I think it was Rob the one who wanted, wanted to say you are high uh, of Meamer of putting together things, and they told him no. Meamer is only for Gidulei Karka. It's only things that grow from the ground. So the same thing over here regarding squeezing. The rice is only things that grow in the ground. Okay. Says the Gemara. Okay. We see there's two melachas involving uh, capturing an animal. One is the capturing of it, tzayid, the one you saw. But says the Gemara, what about also killing it? You're killing the chilazon. Says the Gemara, you should also be liable for taking the life of the chilazon. Is killing the chilazon? No, Yeah, this Bryce is dealing when he already died. Now, initially they explain why shouldn't be when you take it out of the sea that you know it's going to die. Why, why aren't you liable to also right, right there? So they explain many cases, you take it out of the sea with a, with a, with a, with a water, how do you call it, with a, with a utensil that has water. So by taking it out of the sea, right there, you're not killing it. Rabbi Amar, Rabbi is saying, no, even when he's still alive and you're squeezing the blood out of him, it's not Netilos Neshama. Why is mitaseku etzel netilos neshama? So we saw it a couple of days ago. I think it was on Sunday when we had terrible experience of going through Facebook Live. <laughs> so we saw the concept of mitasek. Mitasek means when you are not intending to do a melacha. But look in the footnotes that over here is not really mitasek. It's really enum iskaven. He is not, I'm sorry, he's not intending killing the chilazon. He's just intending to take out the blood. So that's why, according to Robe, he wouldn't be liable for killing it. Because his intention is only to take out the blood. Now, we're going to see soon that the Gemara is going to ask on this. This is Gemara. But hold on. I mean, he doesn't want to kill him. He just want to take out, he only wants to take out the blood. But hold on. Psikresha is a very known concept in Alaha that is translated as something that's inevitable. It's going to for sure happen. You, you have a fridge that has a light and you open the fridge to take out something. Even if you don't care if the light's going to go on or not, it's inevitable. It's going to happen. That's called psikresha. The words psikresha means cut the head. And the, the classic example is like somebody wants to give the head of a little bird to his son to play with it. In those days, it wasn't need to have just a plastic ball. So he takes a little bird, which is live, and he cuts the head of the bird and gives it to the little boy to play as a ball. So you cannot say, well, I, I don't want to kill the bird. I just want the head for my son to play with the head. Yes, it's psikresha, the loyamus. 
you want to cut the head and say, but lo yamus, but don't die. <laughs> it's going to happen inevitably. It's the same thing over here. How can they explain, Robe, that no, he doesn't want the Hilazon to die. He's just taking out the blood to use it, but he doesn't want it to die. Edom is coming, but it's psychoracia. Now, over here is a very interesting halacha. That not only he doesn't care if, he, if the Hilazon dies or not, he'd rather the Hilazon remains live. Alive. Why? Because the blood of a, of a living animal is clearer is better than the blood of a dead animal. So he wants to be using the blood of the Hilazon. So the, the longer the Hilazon is alive, the better it is for the person. So therefore, it is even a better thing. Let me see a question. What Anthony told me is something about one of the animals that maybe the Helazon is used in modern medicine, they take blood out of the animal while keeping it still alive, like a blood donation. Oh, interesting. Well, well, well done. Good find, Amitsia. Yeah, so that is the case that he prefers it to be alive. L look at the fundo number 28. No, I'm sorry. Uh, 27. That um, Rabbi Shimon concedes that one is liable for an inevitable consequence only when the person at, at the most does not care about the result, nor when he's unhappy about it. That is the case over here. This is Rashi. Because a person is not happy for the Hilazon to die, in this type of enormous cabin, then even if it's psychresha, it would be okay. Okay, let's move on to the next olacha, next melacha, ashechet. So previously we saw tzav, which is hunting, which is trapping. The next melacha in the Mishnah is slaughtering. Says the Gemara, ashechet mishumayichayev. What is the slaughterer liable for? So this is the footnote number 28. That does it really mean precisely slaughtering? Or we're meaning just killing the animal, let's say by, by suffocating the animal or, or breaking his brains. Like, the, is the melacha precisely slaughtering or not? So that is the question of the Gemara. So the Gemara is going to say, yeah, Rabbi Mar Mishum Tzovea. Rav says, yeah, slaughtering has an extra, the Gemara is going to clarify, he, he has a dextra, an extra addition to the melach of just killing an animal, because by slaughtering, you are dyeing the neck, which is a place where the animal was slaughtered. So therefore, he is liable of dying. Dying, and how to pronounce it, but good thing you can read it, <laughs> to know what I mean. The Gemara next page is going to clarify what is the purpose of it. Shmuel says, no, the main problem of the Melacha is you're killing an animal, taking away its life. So the Gemara is going to ask a question on Rav. 
משום צובע אין, משום נטילוס נשמה לוי. אקוראים תוריו, קילינג דה אנימל, when you slaughter the animal, the melacha is of dying, the skin of the animal with the blood that you slaughter it, and not, there's no problem the fact you kill the animal, took away his neshama, we're not neshama, he's living nefesh beimis. Says the Gemara, no, according to Rav, you are liable because of two melachas, the melacha of taking away the neshama, the nefesh, and the melacha of dying, the way you caught the animal. And now the Gemara is going to clarify. Omar Rav, Milsa de Amere, Emaba Milsa, the Lord Leisu Dore Basroye, the Lichaihu Alai. Let me just clarify my ruling so future generations don't laugh at, at my ruling. Tobea be my Nihale, why would be a Melacha? Has to be something he gets some benefit out of it, of slaughtering the animal. So says Nicha, the Lisbas. A person is happy that the place, the neck, the throat where he slaughtered the animal should be soaked with blood. Why? The people are going to see the blood in the neck of the dead animal. And when they see that fresh blood, they understand there is a fresh, freshly slaughtered animal. And therefore the flesh is the meat of that animal is it's uh, fr- fresh, fresh, and they're going to come and buy. So according to Rav, if you kill just an animal without slaughtering, just suffocating the animal, then the melacha is only netilos neshama, taking away the life of the animal. But if you also do shechita, you two melachas, taking away the life and also dying the neck of the animal. Okay, let's continue. Let me change recordings. The next one in the Mishnah was salting and tanning. Okay? The Amorcho Be'Avdo. Says the Gemara, Hainu Molea, Hainu Ma'abed. The Gemara is asking a question. Why the Mishnah brings these two Melachos when they are the very same purpose? And look, you can define us how to explain that regarding the, the, the Mishnah spoke about many melachos that had to bore, bore and dash and all of that, which separating and threshing and all that, that even though they are very similar melacho, they are in different stages of the process of making bread. But these two are the very same one after the other, just to convert the skin into leather, into leather, leather. Okay, leather. So it's kind of one and the same. So Rabbi Yochanan Bidyash, the Namitar Vayu, Apik Hadminayu, yeah, you're right. And we spoke about it in the Mishnah. Remove one of them, Vail Sirtut. And instead of that one, insert tracing lines. So we spoke about it in the Mishnah, that they needed to cut the heights of the, of the animals in certain sizes to make the roof of the Mishkan. So therefore, before you cut, you need to trace with, a, with, a, with a, some sort of a knife where you want to cut it. So this is sirtut. 
Okay. If somebody salts meat, let's say you want to marshal your meat on Shabbos, you have slaughtered meat, meat of a bird of a cow that was shchita, and now you want to salt it to marshal it. According to this opinion, you're going to be liable of tanning because tanning is making something ready the way you want it by the means of the salt. There's no such a thing of tanning when it comes to foods. Tanning is only to heights, not to edible foods. And even this previous opinion, he said that this is considered uh, uh, tanning only when you need the meat, like biltong. You, need, you want to take it for the whey, and you, miss, you need to salt it, salt it very heavily to preserve it. Only then it's going to be, according to him, like uh, making heights. Avaleveisa. But just to put a bit of a salt at home, for sure that's not uh, any melacha. A person doesn't use that much of a salt to render his food to be like a wood with heavy salt. Okay. Vital in the Mishnah. Going back to the heights, smoothing the hide and cutting it. Omar Shaf Ben Amudin Beshabes, one who rubs. Now, this word, the ground, that Ashkol is adding in translation, follows Rashi's, Rashi's explanation of the Gemara. But we're going to see in the footnote there's two opinions, and what's big cautious on Rashi. But first, let's understand the Gemara Aliva the Rashi. One who rubs the ground between two pillars of a pavilion on Shabbos, then he's liable on a kind of smoothing. So you have a pavilion, you have two pillars that are holding like a roof, and then in between them, you want to smooth the floor to make it look nicer for people to sit down over there. So according to this opinion, according to Rashi, that's what the Gomorrah means, would be mechakek, would be smoothing. Now, the Rishonim argued with Rashi. We saw yesterday in the Gemara that that is boine, or maybe two days ago it was. That is boine. When you, when you flatten inside of your house, you are liable because of boine, because you're making the floor look nicer. So how come Rashi can say that that is the case of the Gemara? So that's why in the footnotes over here, in the footnote number 12, you're going to see in the bottom that according to the Rishonim, we're dealing in a case of somebody rubbing a hide that is hung on the pillars in order to smooth and soften it. So it's not in the floor. It's a proper hide in the pillar, and you want to make it smoother and nicer. Over there, you will be liable for mechakek. Okay. Um, let's continue with melochos. They change Rav Ashi for Rav Asi. Mishmed Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi. First of all, Amegarer Roshe Chlona Sois Beshabas. One who planes 
means like cuts the top of the poles on Shabbos in order to sharpen them. So then your level of cutting. Then one who spreads some sort of a medicine, some sort of lotion on a wound on Shabbos, is liable of a smoothing. You know, let me tell you a lacha that applies a lacha lemaisa on a cake. If you say, because it happens here with, with Karen, she makes a cake, she bakes a cake, but then she doesn't put on top of it frosting or whip before Shabbos. On Shabbos, you are not allowed to put it nicely, it's mechakek. You cannot smooth the frosting or the whip on top of the cake. If you want to do it on Shabbos, you put it not in a very nice way, just put it on top, smear it over there, and leave it like that. <clears throat> and then finally, <clears throat> if somebody uh, chisels a stone on Shabbos to polish it, I know you saw in the famous stone of Jerusalem. So there's two ways how they do it. First of all, they bring it out of the mountain, these blocks, in the koisel, they are massive, right? But even now, in every there's a rule in Jerusalem: we are only allowed to use the stone of Jerusalem. You see, all the buildings, all the front of the buildings have that stone. But there's two looks. This one is sticking out. And this one thing is smooth. So that would be the case. You, you take, you'll, have, you have, you'll have your brick of the stone of Yerushalayim, but it's sticking out. And you start chiseling it, and you want to make it smooth. You're going to be liable, says the Gemara, Mishum Makabepatish, which is the final blow. So that Makabepatish is always when you, when you almost finish a vessel and you do the last tikkun, the last rectification of the vessel. And after that is complete, it's called Makabe Patish. Because it's like when you made a metal knife or a sword or something like that, and you took it out of the fire and you put it in cold water, and then you take a hammer, you have to do the final touch for this to be finalized. finalized. So that is the concept of Makabe Patish. So the Gemara is going to bring examples of this. Some change no kisma because kisma was a tana, and they change it for kisma. I think looking eighteen, bisna, bisna. Okay, in name of Rabbi Shimon ben Lakish, which is an amora, atzar tzura bechli. One who engraves an image on a utensil, where speaking of utensil was already finished, and then they added like a shape to look it make to make it look nicer. If you put such a shape on Shabbos, will be this. Then, one more. And look, have you ever seen a glass blower? It's very cool. They melt, they have huge, very hot ovens, furnaces, and they melt over their glass. Then they take a metal tube and they put the melted glass at the other end and they start blowing. And by blowing, they start shaping with the air inside the type of vessel you want. So that is called Makabe Patish, making a vessel. 
because according to Rashi, there's no binyan in kalim. According to Rashi, there's no melacha of boine when it comes to utensils. So there's going to be makabepatish. And I'm a rabbiude, and the 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 rabbiude adds, "Ha'iman de shakil akufi miglimei." If somebody removes any protrusions from a garment, "Ha'im shumakabepatish." So we have to be very careful. Let's say you have a, a new garment, right? And it's sticking some thread, something like that, and you rip it, you're going to be liable for makapepatish. But the Gemara is going to add to this. Vianimili, when is this considered makapepatish? The capital I. Only when a person is really particular about them. If you're just doing out of but you couldn't care less, and you can wear it with something sticking out, then it's not Makkah Bepatish. We have something in a new garment that it was sticking out from, not that, not that you were walking on the street and some branch of a tree went into your garment. No, that, that's the way it came out, out of the factory. So usually in factories, they always clean and cut things sticking out. Like in, in, a, in, a, in a tie. Sometimes I have a tie, I have a string hanging down from the tie. If you cut it, I'm not talking about the sticker, the, the, the label where, where you bought it. I'm talking part of the, of the threads that they use for the garment. Over there, if you cut it, on Shabbos, it's Makapepatish. You are permitted to separate items. Let's say you have for your little baby. You have two little baby shoes. And they are united with a plastic or with a string. That is a conchavis, you can cut it. That's not Makabe Patish. Okay. A Koisef Shtey, now let's move on to the Melacha of a Koisef, to griting. The Koisef Shtey Oisiyois. So the Mishnah says, griting is only when you grite two letters. Okay? And then erasing also when you raise them in order to grite two letters. So Tanu Labanan, this says in the Braisa. If a person grows in an in a area, a larger letter. So he grows a big letter, but when he grows it, there was room to write two normal size letters. So he is, uh, even though his, the Oraisa is prohibited to write even one letter, but we saw in the Mishnah, to be liable for achatas, you need to write two letters. But when it comes to erasing them, says the Braisa, Mohakos Gdoila, if somebody erase one large letter, Shtaim, and now that you erased the big letter, you left open space for somebody to write two medium-sized letters, Says Gemara Chayav, you're gonna be liable. Now look in the footnote number twenty-five. They bring the name of the Chidushi Aran, something beautiful. That only look, there's no liability unless one leaves enough space to write two medium-sized duplications of the large letter that he raised. For example, if you raise a big Aleph, he only be liable if there's space to write two medium-sized Alephs. Because when it comes to Melacha raising. It doesn't matter how many letters you erased. It matters how much space you created to be able to write again. And on that ends the, the Bryce saying, 
This is a stringency that you find in erasing over grating. Okay. The Gemara listed the following melachos. Building and demolishing and extinguishing and kindling and striking the final blow. So the Gemara goes back to Maccabee Patish. Rabba, Berabi Zeira, both of them say, Call me the days be Gemar Melacha. Any act that by doing it you're accumulating the labor, Chemishim Maccabee Patish. That is what will be accounted of strike, striking the final blow. Now, let's just end up, um, the Gemara is going to end up the last part of the Mishnah. If you remember, this Mishnah ended with the words, Elo Abos Melachos, Arbaim Haserachas. These are the Abos Melachos, 40 minus 1. The Gemara asks the question, Elo, what is the word Elo this? Come to teach me. Says Gemara Lafuki Midrabi Eliezer. The Mishnah wanted to write the words Elu. These are the Abos Melachos to exclude Rabbi Eliezer's opinion. Why? The Mechaya Balatolda Bemakomab. Rabbi Eliezer also says that even if a person did a Tolda at the same time that he did the Ab, he needs to bring also, he's liable to bring a Korban Hatos for both of them, for the Ab and for the Tolda. So that's why Ortana said, no, you can maximum, we saw it four times. The maximum you can bring, actually we saw it here four times. The maximum of chatos uh, you're gonna bring by doing everything you could ever imagine on Shabbos, Beshoigeg, is gonna be 39, because we don't hold like this opinion of Rabbi Lazar. We, Rabbi Eliezer, we hold, even if you do many told us, but if you them together with the Abbas, you don't bring extra hatos for the Toldos. And then the Mishnah said, Choserachas, these were the Melachos 40 minus 1. Says Gemara this is also to exclude Rabbi opinion. The Tanya says the Braisa, Rabbi Yudhoi Moisir, Esar Shoivet, Veamedagdek. So Rabbi adds two more Melachos regarding uh, the process of making clothing which is leaning up, they wrap threads with a road and beating the weft threads. So I don't think I'm going to go into the details, but I will advise for you to read them in the footnotes. This rod is a pointed rod is there for use to separate the threads and lay them up properly. So that, that is a melacha called uh, Shoivet, which is lining up the grub threads with a rod, and the other one is beating the web threads also in the process of uh, weaving over here. Amrulo Chachamin told of you that disagree with them, said Shoivet No, we don't split them into two because they're really one and the same, it's, it's part of the same process is similar to salting and tanning that the Gemara said is, 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 a, is a prolonged 
aspect of the same melacha. One is done with salt and the other one is a different way, but that both are kind of the same. It's the same thing, Chacham Yisrael Hitor of Yudah. That lining up the rock threads with a rod is included in the melacha of mounting the rock. And midagdek adil bichlal oireg. And also beating the weft, how you pronounce it, is included in the category of weaving. Okay, let's continue with the next Mishnah. So says the Mishnah, Odklal Acher Ambru. They stated another general rule regarding Shabbos. Now, if you remember, let me give you a big Yisharkoyach. At the beginning of this chapter, the, how does the, what is the wording of the first Mishnah? Klal Godol Amru Shabbos. A big, a big general principle was taught regarding Shabbos. And one opinion explained over there why the Mishnah started with the words Klal Gadol, because there's another Klal in the next Mishnah. So this is the next Klal. Another rule was taught regarding Shabbos. And now we're going to continue with the Melach of Otsa. So from now until chapter 10, we're going to be dealing with the Melach of Otsa, which was the last Melach of the Mishnah, taking out into a public domain. So this is a klal. Kol akasher Whatever is fit to store. And the Gemara is going to explain what is not. But any object that people will keep. Umatznim kamau. And also people store it in such quantity. So we do, we're dealing with quality and quantity. And therefore, somebody carry out on Shabbos. So therefore, the person that brought it out is going to be liable to a common chattas. But whatever is not fit to store, that normal people wouldn't store, or people do not store in such a quantity. Again, it's a matter of quality and quantity. The only one who's going to store it is the, the, only the one that stores it is going to be liable. So we're going to see actually now in the Gemara that there's something that everybody cares for it and something that only some people care about it. So let's say a wealthy person. For a wealthy person, to take out a little piece of bread, he wouldn't do that. Nevertheless, according to Ortana, we're going to see Machlokas in the Gemara, even if a wealthy person takes out a little bit of bread, because normal people would carry out, he's going to be liable. That's what the mission is telling us. Now, something that only one person would like it. Let's say you are a collector of stamps of mail. I think today hardly people collect that. In those days, in the olden days, people would collect little stamps for, for, for letters or for mail. So let's say you are a collector and you are a tourist coming to South Africa. You are coming from Mexico to South Africa and you see on the street a little bull of an of a envelope and you are a stamp collector. 
and you lift it up on Shabbos. So according to the Tanabar Mishnah, because you care about it, even if the rest of South Africans couldn't care less of a little stamp of, a, of an envelope, for you, according to our Tana, you're going to be liable of Otsah. Let's continue the Gemara. Says the Gemara, when talking about quality, the Mishnah says, anything that is fit to be stored, what does it come to exclude? What are, are objects that people don't store? So, Ropope Amar Lefuki Damnida. This is specifically talking about menstrual blood. Now, look in the photo number 42. In those days, Sorry, in those days, days of the Mishnah, and days of the Gemara, people would bring blood to a, a, a poisek, to a very ex expert person, because according to the Torah, there are some types of blood that don't render a, a, a wife, a woman either. If it comes from a wound or from different things, only menstruation blood would, would make her an either. So people would carry blood like a cloud or something with blood to show it to the to the chacham to see if she's needed or not. But once it has already been checked by the chacham, people don't care about that. So according to the papa, this has no use, and therefore a person wouldn't be liable about so. Madagwa Amar Madagwa said, a different thing is being excluded over here. The wood of an asherah tree. So Asherah tree is a tree that was used for idolatry. So that would people wouldn't for sure carry. Look in the phone number 43. So first of all, you are prohibited to derive any benefit from it. And therefore, people uh, in the phone number 44 is repulsive and must be destroyed. So according to this opinion, Marukva, that's what the Mishnah comes to exclude, that for that people wouldn't be liable to carry on Shabbos. The Gemara is going to analyze these two opinions. Man, the Amardam Nida, the one that says, oh, Papa, that the Mishnah came to exclude menstrual blood. Why? Koshiken, and, and he would agree, all the more so, at Asherah, if somebody, like in the second opinion, would, would carry out wood of Asherah, he's certainly unfit and wouldn't be liable. But Man, the Amar, but the opinion that specified the object that the Mishnah came to exclude, Marukva, was wood of the Shera tree. But according to him, but somebody carry out menstrual blood would be liable of, of carrying out. Why? Because people store that to give to their cats. Cats like licking blood. So therefore he will be liable. The Gemara says, and what about the other person? What about Rapapa? Why doesn't he agree that you are liable because you're going to give it to your cat? Ve'idach says, Gemara, no. Kevan de Chalsha lo matzna So people don't store menstrual blood because it says in the Gemara Nida, in the footnote, say, look over there in the Gemara Nida, took a look over there in the Gemara Nida, there are things that are a little more like Kabbalistic, like cutting your nails. So we have to be very careful when we cut our nails, not to leave them hanging when people can step on them, especially not a pregnant lady who's been brought 
that if a pregnant lady steps on a nail, she can miscarry. miscarry. So there are things that have like a bit of a Kabbalistic thing that they, they, are, they be, make people weak. So one of them is the blood of, of, uh, of menstruation. So that's why, according to this opinion, people don't study it away. Okay. Says the Gemara, Amar Rabiosi, Amar Bar Hanina. Ahí de lo que Rabbi Shimon, our Mishnah that gave these parameters that even that even a rich person carrying something that for him is not important is going to be liable is not according to Rabbi Shimon. We're going to see the tomorrow that according to Rabbi Shimon in the in the following Mishnah in the next page he wouldn't be liable. They can be Shimon, according to Rabbi Shimon, Omar, he holds Loi Ambru Kol Ashurim Alalu Elale Matsniem. According to Rabbi Shimon, who transgresses, who is liable for Atzah? Only people that would commonly carry that object. But a rich person that he wouldn't carry something so cheap, he, would be, he wouldn't be liable. So the Gemara said, Vaiter in the Mishnah. Now, this is in terms of quality. Now, uh, another thing that Mishnah said regarding that, and whatever is not fit to be stored, only, only the one who stored it would be liable, but, any, any other, only, but if any person carries it out, he's exempt from the punishment. This was the last example of the, the, the last dean of the Mishnah. This is why I gave, the, I gave you the example of a stamp of a, from the mail. So if somebody carries out a stamp because he's a collector, only he would be liable, but not somebody else. So Amar Abiloza, Rabbi Laza said, also comes to exclude If you permit me, let's just finish this, this Gemara, and we'll leave for the next mission for tomorrow of Hashem. Says, this is doesn't follow the opinion of Rabbi Shimon ben Lazar, the Tanya, because he calls Klal Amar Rabbi Shimon ben Lazar, Kol Sheno Kasher Leatznia Vimbatznin Kamo, anything that is not fit to be stored, and normal people do not store it in such a quantity, Veushal Ezevi Etznio, but this specific person, for him it's important he stores it, Uva Cher Veotzio, and somebody else takes it out, then that other person is going to be liable because for this particular person is important. So going back to my stamp, just because for, the, for one guy collecting stamps is important and he will be liable according to the Tanah or Mishnah, but somebody else not, according to Rabbi Shimon and Lazar, if somebody else comes and carries the stamp, he also is going to be liable because for this guy is liable. So just look in the chart over here in the little table in footnote number two. So you have Tanakama, Rabbi Shimon, and Rabbi Shimon and Lazar. So item, if it's not stored, so according to Tanakama, it has to be the minimum amount for all people. Then, if one second, let's understand the chart. According to Tanakama, an item that is not stored has to be a minimum amount for all people, then if somebody stores any item, he's going to be liable. 
any amount and only for the storer. According to Rabbi Shimon, has to be the minimum amount for, for an average person who considers it significant, not for somebody that is too rich. And it's going to be the minimum amount if he stores it and for the storer. And according to Rabbi Shimon Lazar, he's the more stringent one. Could be any amount for anyone. Okay. Shkar Rabbi Yisrael.